0: Well, as I was doing my shirt up this morning, I was remembering um, (laughs) how many of you here last week. Those of you that weren't, well, Jeremy was illustrating how that there are foundations in our faith, and it's rather like buttoning up your shirt. If you're like me, I want to button up real fast and get it done, and sometimes I do miss that top one. I get to the bottom and I go, ah, I've got to go all the way out again and redo it. And actually, the foundations of my faith as an individual were like that. I had to unbutton my shirt because nobody taught me what the foundations were. Nobody said, look, you need these things in your foundation. Our foundations are important because they prescribe the shape and the size and the potential strength of whatever is the superstructure. So that would be clue, uh, true in, in a business or in a church or the foundations of your individual life or your family life or even as us in a nation. <laughs> if the foundations are shaken, who will survive? said the proverb. And Jesus actually warned us about foundations when he said there was a wise and a foolish man, you know, the little children's song, the wise man builds house upon the sand. And what happened? If the rain would come, no, when the rain would come, if you're over 30, you already know about floods. And so we want a foundation in the church, this church. We want a foundation in my life, a foundation in my family, which is biblical and is set in place. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 after the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them, Peter gets up and he preaches. And in verse 38, he says, here, I want to show you how to get into the kingdom, how to lay a foundation. He says, repent. That's number one. Be baptized. That's number two. baptized after you repent. Not when a baby. Baby can't repent. It's when you believe you repent. And then, be baptized Every one of you, if you feel like it, every one of you, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I I think, I've often wondered, why is it that people who are passionate and are on fire sometimes as young believers, then suddenly you meet them and they've gone? Or people that join the church and they say, oh, this is my family. I love this place. And suddenly they've gone through the back door. What is this front door, back door Christianity in church life? I I want something different. I want a committed covenantal community that stays. And I believe one of the reasons, not the only reason, but I think one of the reasons is I I was... a Christian for a number of years, and then suddenly a man took hold of my life and he began to disciple my life. He put his finger lovingly in my face. So I noticed when we were playing tennis this morning, you threw your rocket, racket on the ground twice. <sighs> yeah. It began to disciple me. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, not just converts. It's good to have converts But you know, you can disciple somebody into conversion. The disciples of Jesus were not disciples or converts, and they were discipled into conversion. When he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, that's when they got born again. But he'd had them for a while before then. You got anybody discipling your life yet? I have a book here on foundations. And uh, if you're under 90... You might like a copy. It's a free copy. This, there you are, lady. Actually, it's more than a book, it's a manual. So it's got a self-discipleship element in it. There you are. I want, I want a gentleman, please, because we had one man. Right. There you are, sir. How old are you? 29. Wow. Are you single? Stand up. No, 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 no. I don't embarrass you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you'd like a copy, there are some more free copies. Just this morning, they're free, on the back there. Pick up a copy for yourself or somebody else that you're discipling or for your teenager. It, it, I hope you'd find it helpful. So the main scripture I want to focus on is 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, Paul is writing to the people of God And he's telling them, I don't want you unaware. I don't want you ignorant about something. So he says, I don't want you unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers, that was, of course, the original people of Israel, our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. There's a little word there. I don't know whether you noticed it. It came three times. Anybody catch it? All. Yeah, we were all. It says we were all baptized. For we don't want you unaware or ignorant. There's a possibility of us being ignorant about something that God wants us to be aware of. He says that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Do you remember the story? Where were they? Egypt. Did they like it there? What is Egypt a picture of? The world, slavery, sin, captivity. They were all there. We were all there once, right? And he says, then we all passed through the sea. What was the sea? Green Sea, Red Sea. Red Sea went through the Red Sea. That was separating them from Egypt and the Promised Land, right? They all passed through it. And who was the guy that led them through? Moses, who's a picture of? Jesus. He's a a shadow of the coming Savior, Deliverer, Healer, Baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Right? Moses. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. So they had two baptisms into one person. Let me illustrate a moment here with my clean handkerchief, I'm going to baptize it, or I'm going to immerse it into water. Right under. And now, it's absorbed the element into which it was dipped. It's wet. I promise you. Now I'm going to put a tea bag in a good Yorkshire English tea bag <laughs> And I stir it up, and you can see the water's changing color, and it's changed the smell also it's tainted. Now, when I put the same handkerchief into the water, it's slightly not white it's got a tea color shadow on it, and it. My goodness, it smells of Yorkshire tea. Good English brand of Yorkshire tea. Now when we use the word baptism, we tend to think immediately of water. But Jesus spoke of a baptism into suffering. Have you experienced that? He talked of a baptism of joy. In other words, imagine liquid joy in here. And Jesus baptizes you into liquid joy. How would you come up? Somebody said, I believe in sprinkling and full immersion. I baptize them fully immersioned, and they come up so happy they sprinkle everybody who's watching. There's a baptism of suffering, of pain. You could be baptized into shame. To be baptized into, it means you're immersed into and you're soaked into and you actually carry the very element, the DNA of that with which and into which you're baptized. And here we read that they were baptized into a person. I'm dating myself, but I remember one of our pop stars was a man from Memphis. And he was very popular, and kids would put up Elvis all over their walls, and they would grow their sideburns down like Elvis, and they would do their hair like Elvis, and they'd wear the same drain pipes like Elvis, and blue suede shoes like Elvis, and they'd even croon like Elvis. Love me tender. In other words, they were baptized into this man. All they could think of and dream of and talk of and sing of was this personality that they loved and was caught up with. Hello. I'm not talking about Elvis. I'm talking about being baptized into the living Christ. And it says there were two forms by which this happened to the people of God, which are shadows for us today. The first was... They were baptized in the sea or in water. That speaks of redemption, salvation, deliverance from one life into a totally new life. My old is gone. And it's important for you to be baptized. See, I remember uh, (laughs) just after I proposed to my dear wife and she said yes, obviously, and we went down a week later, and we were down in a little Christian house party. And uh, we got baptized in the, in the cold Atlantic Ocean together. And it was, you see, the Catholics call baptism a means of grace. In other words, when you obey God, and you do something which is in accordance with his word, and you obey him by faith, it, it's like a magnet. It attracts and magnetizes God to you with yes. blessing. It's called a means of grace. It's an opportunity, although there are many, but here's a real opportunity to respond in obedience to you. And he says, oh, I like that. So when Jesus was baptized, he said, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. It just just could overflow out of heaven. He said, oh, I just so love you. I'm so proud of you. If you haven't been baptized yet, We're going to have a little class in the new year where you can ask questions about it. Or maybe your kids haven't been baptized yet. Or maybe you baptize them in ignorance, I would suggest, as a baby. Well, it doesn't count. A few years before that, before I would got married, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and with fire. We were away on a Christian ski party in Austria. And... um, At that time in England, it was in the early 60s, there was a real touch of God upon our nation. And lots and lots, thousands of people were being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And there was great controversy as well as great blessing. And uh, this friend of mine who was a farmer, we were skiing on this party with about a 100 people, young men and young women, and it was a toss-up for me between whether I would enjoy the skiing or the young women. And they both featured in my motives (laughs) and so I was talking to this farmer I said to him, his name was Richard I said Richard what's all this stuff about speaking in tongues he said oh it's the Holy Spirit I said well I've got the Holy Spirit when I got saved it was the work of the Holy Spirit right he said yeah he didn't say anything else it was very frustrating and I heard these people and I saw Richard one time he was like this and he was praying, and he was smiling. I said, Richard, you were smiling when you were praying. I mean, How do you do that? I mean, I don't smile when I pray. He says, the Holy Spirit. I said, well, I got the Holy Spirit. He said, yeah. I said, but I don't got the Holy Spirit like you got the Holy Spirit. He said, would you like me to pray for you? He said, I tell you what, if you're prepared to set aside a morning skiing... We'll sit together in the hotel room and I'll show you the scriptures and I'll pray for you and ask Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. How about that? I said, I'll do it. It was a struggle, but I did it. <laughs> and he took me to that little passage in Luke about where a father gives bread. Will I give you bread? Something harmful? Something distasteful? Will I give you instead of fish a scorpion? Something's going to sting you and hurt you? He said, no, how much more will the, Holy S- will, will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He said, Richard said to me, do you want to ask him? I said, yes, I want to ask him. He said, kneel down there. He put his hands on me, and he prayed for Jesus to come and baptize me in the Holy Spirit and fire. I, I had a real encounter. I mean, I wept, I sobbed, I felt heat go through my body, I laughed, I fell. I don't know how long we were there for, and this gushing, bubbling, bubbling, bubbling thing come up inside of me, and I began, shisa glory to God in the highest." I began speaking in a language I'd never heard. Now I'm in the army at that time, and I'm, I'm a strategist. I'm 180 pounds of romping, stomping airborne hell, and I'm, I'm, I. This is, this is. I don't know how to connect this, but it happened to me. And then he prayed this. He said, because there was so much co- controversy, really. He said, Lord, I pray you'll give him a sign. Show, them, show Mike this is really real. So the next day I'm out skiing. And, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to do something new like you do when you're young, <laughs> younger. And I, my ski, I was, did a sharp turn. My ski came off. And in those days, it was held by a little a leather strap. It wasn't all this newfangled stuff we've got today. And off went the ski down the mountain. Well, by the time I caught up with it, it was in a ravine. I could, the bridge went across the ravine, and there it is at the bottom of the ravine. I thought I've got to go down and get it. So I took my ski off, put it by the bridge. I had my ski poles on, and I walked down the path of quickest descent to this, get the ski. And I cut across. I didn't realize I cut across. It was wet snow that had recently fallen, and suddenly... The whole thing, <laughs> the whole mountain side began moving like this. And I'm tumbling, falling. And this rock and ice, and I'm, I'm trapped in this avalanche within seconds. I can't see. I can't breathe. I threw my arm up like this as I went under. And then, and then I'm like, I saw, you know, you do. You see, I saw the, the newspaper, local boy dies in avalanche. I saw my parents grieving. I tried to shout, I tried to move, I, I could, I was just... I, I mean, you think little fluffy snow like we got this morning, it's so light. It isn't, it, it just crushes you. Well, I'm still here, so you know that I got out. <laughs> well, the friend I was skiing with, he came down and he, he saw my ski by the bridge uh, a few seconds after this thing had happened. He thought, huh, I wonder if Mike's got anything to do with this. And so he took off his skis... And he walked down, and well, I mean, where do you look? Where do you start? You don't have sniffer dogs or anything like that. He just, and he was a Christian. He bowed his head and he said, "God, if Mike's under here, would you show me where he is?" That's all he did. He told me later. And then, as he lifted his eyes, something glinted in his eye, in between his two feet. Yes. So he reached down and pulled on it. Well, of course, it was the ski pulp, not the little tip was showing, not even that little basket thing was showing, just the very tip. And it was sunshine and it glinted and it caught his eye and he pulled on it and he began digging down and eventually came to a hand and then an arm and then a shoulder and he brushed off the snow off my face. He said, I was blue with asphyxia. He said, and then you started speaking in tongues. Two baptisms into one person. The baptism in water is the significant obedience step that you have been saved, you have become a new person, and all your sins have been washed away. How many Egyptians came through? Not one. Not one Egyptian got through. Do you know what? God has gone through and tracked the history of your whole life, and he's redeemed and saved, and forgiven, and washed away, there isn't one thing that comes through. Now, that should make you like Miriam and start pick up your tambourine and dance. (laughs) And so when Christ comes in with redemption by the Holy Spirit, it's by the power of the Spirit, He redeems you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit is to produce Christ, the character of Christ, But it's to produce the character of Christ that you are now a new person, a new man. And Christ is in you and his character. The nine fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, are increasingly being developed in your life. But the second baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is a baptism to empower us. To empower us. So in Luke three sixteen, the prophet John, John the Baptist, prophesies about Jesus coming. He said, I am not worthy to untie his sandals, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And that work of the Holy Spirit, which should happen simultaneously with the baptism in water, it's all together as we read in Acts. That's why my buttons needed to all be unbuttoned and put in, because it was a foundational thing. This is meant to happen on day one. And I'd been a Christian for many years and it hadn't happened yet, so I had to unbutton and start again. But this baptism is an empowerment, not to produce character, which is important, but to produce the charisma of Jesus. And so we get the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Whereas in the first working of the Spirit or the continuous working of this is to produce the character of Jesus. Don't you want the character of Jesus? I want that fire to come upon me and burn up. Somebody put it this way there are some churches that are like a ship with a beautiful teak hull and polished brasswork and two huge great masts. But there's no sail. And then there's other churches. They're, they're like this huge raft with a massive great sail on it. And it's spinning and going all over the place on the ocean. But it's got no direction. We want both. It's not character or charisma. It's not Pentecostalism or holiness. It's both. Yeah, yeah. Jesus can't be divided. Yeah. Well... Some people try. He can't be divided. You can't, you can't divide his character from his charisma. But the entrance into character and charisma are by two operations of the Holy Spirit. And there's many, many believers, because they didn't button up the shirt rightly, they got the one without the other. We want both. Now the interesting thing here that John prophesies is that it's a baptism of the Spirit by, with fire. Jesus is the original burning man. He's the original burning man. You can feel his fire on him. You know, when he cleansed the temple, the disciples watched him in his zeal and in his passion. They said, the zeal of the Lord is burning him up. See, I need some alternative power than my own to really do the works of God and to embolden me. I do. I mean, what happened to Peter? He's bowing down before a little girl who's saying, you're one of them. No, I'm not. With curses. I'm not. (laughs) what, what, What instigated that was the fear and then suddenly, the day of Pentecost, he gets, whew, and fire's burning out of his ears because it's burning in his heart. Because Jesus has burned into him by the power of the Spirit. Now, suddenly, in front of thousands of Jews who are ready to crucify him like they did his master, he gets up and you crucify the Lord of glory. Repentably. My goodness, Peter, what happened to you? He got fire on his words. What would happen if we all got filled with fire? And all the other churches in this city caught on fire. What would the Fox Valley look like? You know how John saw Jesus? He saw him in heaven. He said he had eyes like fire. He's the burning man. I need him to burn in me. When Jeremy was kindly saying the nice things that he's kindly said about me with such kindness. (laughs) I say this, but for the fire of God, I might already be in my grave spiritually, if not in reality. They said, oh, the zeal of God for the house is burning him up. John saw him with eyes of fire. The prophet saw him like this in the Old Testament. Our God is a consuming fire. Yeah. Now there are two aspects of fire in the Bible. One is consuming, and one is not consuming. We need both. I remember. Um, I remember being in uh, Arabia. And I wanted to buy my wife a gold brooch, wh- which I did. And I brought my mother uh, another one as well, the same. And I went to this little market, an Arab market. It's called a souk. I went to this little souk. And this this Arab there with a big beard. And he was underneath his little tent. And he had this paraffin cooker. And a black pot was on it. And inside the pot was liquid gold. And he was the goldsmith I went to to get this gold brooch. I'd heard about him. His name was Robin. At least we called him Robin. I think he had another name beginning with M. <laughs> <laughs> and every so often, he'd take this wire and he'd pull it across the top of the surface of the gold and it would, it would just pull away any um, impurities that had come and risen to the surface of the gold and he just pulled it away like that. And I watched him, fascinated And then he'd he'd do it again with this wire. He was was expert at it. He didn't pull too much gold out. just the impurities. And he'd do it again and again. I said to him, Robin, how many times do you do that? He said, until I can see my face perfectly reflected in the surface of the gold. That's what Jesus is doing in us as we obey the Spirit. He's just pulling off all the garbage that we might see him one day as he is. He looks at us and he says, ooh, that's me there. Now you've got it. It's just it's mixed with a bit of stuff that needs to be pulled out. And I'm saying that as we come under the fire of the Spirit, that cleansing, purifying fire sanctify our character so that a watching world will look and say there was nobody like this man but the other aspect of fire is that it doesn't consume remember the bush that Moses saw he turned aside he'd seen bushes burning in a desert but this one was different because it was burning but the branches were still intact the leaves were still there it was just fire on the whole thing it wasn't consumed And so what happens is that when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and as you continue to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and continue to be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of fire, like John saw in the heavens, he said he saw like tongues of fire in the heavens. And he said, before the throne and underneath the throne came a river of fire. But there's an aspect of fire which is not dangerous to you and me, but which is beautiful. It's this fire that sets fire to all of the god-given passions that you've been created with. See sometimes the passions that God has created in you and me they lie latent. They're like little embers just there ready waiting till one day the wind of the spirit comes. The interesting thing about Pentecost was that the house was filled with wind and then fire came. <laughs> Don't get too excited. <laughs> there, is, there is coming a day. But we need to step into it today, as it were, in its limited measure that's been given to us and the possibility of its limited measure. We want the fullness of it, but we can get the limited measure now as a foretaste, as a token, as a taste of the power of a coming age. And so things like this that are in our hearts, like the Word of God. When fire comes on the Word of God inside of you, when the Spirit stirs up the Word in you, it becomes burning inside you. That's not my daily experience, but I want it to be. And I have touched it. Do you remember the two on the road to Emmaus? Mr. and Mrs. Clopas, what it was. And after Jesus had gone and had been talking to them and explaining about the word, the word, he showed them the word in all of the old Pentateuch. He said himself in the word, he, they said this to him. Did not our hearts burn within us? Jeremiah had the same concept. He said, he said the, the word is like fire locked up in my bones. David, in the Psalms, he said the same thing. As I mused, my heart grew hot. Jesus hates lukewarmness. Makes him vomit. Oh, Father, let me not be lukewarm. So God, God by the Spirit will suddenly, one of the things that happened to me after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Bible, I I couldn't put it down. I, I couldn't reason with it. I couldn't, I mean, it's like, it's a new, it's popping out at me. And then worship. Listen to what Daniel says about worship, Daniel 7. He says, as I looked, I saw the Ancient of Days and he took his seat. His hair was like a pure wool, his clothing like white snow. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels a burning fire. And a river of fire issued out of him. You know, Leviticus 6 tells us that there's an altar in heaven and there's an altar in our hearts. And he says, don't let the fire ever go off the altar. That our worship... Like this morning, is, it's impregnated with a sense of the Spirit. They that worship me shall worship me in spirit as well as word. And the Spirit brings life and joy. It's the fire of God as I, I join heaven. The baptism in the Spirit changed my whole model and understanding of worship. Obviously, I began singing in tongues. I never, I could, I'd never done that before. You know, I, I don't have a good memory for hymns. I'm a hymnologist. I love hymns. I'm going along in the car, and I love to sing that song, "How great thou art." Yeah. You know that song? Yeah. What a great song. Went through the volley raids, I wonder and see the tree. Ah, what's the? sutiti nama Suveke." I began to learn how to sing in tongues because I had a bad memory for the English. <laughs> and the Lord taught me how to sing in tongues. Would to God I did it more. And intercession, ooh, intercession is liquid fire, breathing back into heaven, calling on God to do what he's promised, and love. When I fell in love with my wife, I don't know when it was, but I knew it was, and it was passionately hot. <laughs> I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. (laughs) Look what the Song of Songs says, that great romance book. I had to reference it, please. It says, love, there's a love as strong as death. Death is the, it's the most inevitable, dependable, certain thing you can think of in life, death. It will happen. He says, now there's a love that's, as strong as death, it's as certain, it's as sure, it's, in, it's as inevitable as death itself. Ooh, you interested? What kind of love is this? Jealousy as fierce as the grave. He's describing a love that is so jealous, it's as jealous as the grave. What does that mean? It says because when a body dies, the grave stands up and says, that's mine. No, you can't have it. It's mine. It'll stink if you don't put it in me. And I'm jealous. That's mine. It belongs to me because it's dead. Now he says there's a love that's stronger than death and more jealous than the grave. And then he, he finishes off and he says, let me tell you about it. It's flashes of flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord. I don't think I've scratched the surface of this kind of flamey love. When I got baptized in the Holy Spirit and subsequently, I remember being at a conference and there was a visit of God and the Spirit came upon us. I felt my heart bursting. I, you know, there were some men in the room I didn't like very much. There were. You know. You commanded to love them, but not like them. <laughs> and, and I mean, I love you, brother, but I didn't like him. But when this thing happened to me, I remember going into the dining room, putting my arms around these brothers. And, and it wasn't, you know, I better obey God. It was just something inside me bubbling up, bubbling up, bubbling out, uncontainable, irresistible, jealous as the grave, as certain as death, like the flames of God. <laughs> And I don't think we're even touching the surface of this thing yet. He's an eternal God. He's everlasting. You can't find out where he begins and ends. So we're like paddling in the very, very shores of the great ocean of his love. How do we get this? We've got to ask. We've got to press in. We've got to stir ourselves up. Now, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Do you remember a few months ago? Can the musicians come? Remember a few months ago at the end of some of the Sunday morning meetings we... We began to linger, those of us that didn't have kids to go to or football games to watch on TV. or Let's just push these chairs back and let's come and stand before the Lord and ask Him. I, uh, you know, we, I was reminded of the, uh, the singer's and the, the bell ringers outside, uh, what do they call them? Salvation Army, guys? Salvation Army guys? Yeah. I saw them and uh, I was reminded of William Booth, who over a hundred years ago was the general who started the, the whole movement. He wrote, he wrote this hymn. I won't read all of it, but just the last verse is really great. He says, To make our weak hearts strong and brave, Send the fire, send the fire, send the fire. To live a dying world to save. Send the fire, send the fire, send the fire. Oh, see us on thy altar lay. Our lives are all this very day. To crown the offering, now we pray. Send the fire, send the fire, send the fire. I would like us to give God an offering for Christmas. To come here and say, Come on, here's my life. Send the fire, send the fire. Send the fire. If you've not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you want somebody to pray for you, we'll do that. If you want to make a commitment to get baptized in water, make it as you stand here. And Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, Go on, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 4, they got another dose after Acts 2. I want many fillings, don't you? I want repeated fire. I want ongoing blowing. They don't have that tense in Ephesians 5.18 in English. It's a fourth tense. Not past, not present, not future. It's called the present continuous. Be be being filled and filled and be being, be being filled, filled, filled. Be being filled. Go on being filled. Go on being filled. That's the command of God. He knows we need it.